Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. People are traveling again, but how many global hotel chains can you name that feel geared towards millennials and Gen Z, with a focus on experiences, co-working, and a balance of urban and remote locations? Selena is hoping to be the company you think of if you aren't already. It signed a $996 million combination agreement with BOA Acquisition Corp. in December 2021, and it is now approaching close. I'm Nicholas Clayton, and this week my colleague Melina Haddad and I will be speaking with Selena CEO and co-founder Rafael Mosseri and BOA President and CFO Ben Friedman. They talk about why Selena has such a unique pitch to both consumers and investors at a moment where the market is jumping from the pandemic to a risk-off climate, and how Selena's asset-light approach has put profitability squarely within its sights without sacrificing growth. Take a listen. So just to start out, Rafi, you recently announced Selena's financial results for the first half of the year, including revenue up an impressive 142% year over year to 86 million in the first half. So can you just walk us through some of the important metrics you were able to announce there? Occupancy is in its record. And um, also, if you look at each of the segments, when you look at food and beverage, when you look at when you look at uh, an experience, when you look at rooms, overall, uh, in each of the three main components of, of revenue, and we succeed to improve uh, our performance as well as succeed to open 30 new properties. But I think the most important things to understand is that the new revenue is not just coming from new properties. Also on the same store level, we succeed to make a, a big improvement. This is for me, it's one of the most important things to see because one thing is to open new beds. Another thing is to keep improving what we call rep up, revenue per occupied bed. So our revenue per occupied bed is is in its best place ever, back to pre-COVID numbers, et cetera. Great. And and for Ben, I'm interested in your perspective on how things have progressed as well, not only with Selena, but the wider market. You know, BOA IPO'd in February 2021, looking for prop tech targets, and you announced this deal in December. And so, you know, we're going to be getting into a lot of the, the kind of the, the big trends and topics, but just what do you think has been the most important development for the prop tech space so far in 2022? Not to refocus your question, but I think what's most important here is the story about Selena. And my background is such that I tend to run into fires. I grew up as a high yield distressed debt investor. And with a real estate based background and the ability to leverage that experience as a hospitality operator, what we saw in Selena was an incredible opportunity, particularly as you saw a number of Fortune 500 companies shift to remote work post pandemic or I guess during pandemic, I hope we're post pandemic, uh, but it's truly remarkable what they put together. There's 163 locations, 25 countries, six continents. They're two times the size of anybody that's tried to do what they're putting together. And when you think about the box and you can call it a platform, you can call it an ecosystem, but what it is, is it's a hotel, but it's a hotel where you can work at, where you can stay, where you're going to have phenomenal you know, food and beverage offerings and experiential offerings. And all of that resonates with the community, which is why, you know, we're a 50-50 split on a revenue basis between rooms and food, beverage, and experience. And 25% of total revenue at the company comes from people that don't stay there. So yeah, our financial results are amazing. I'm incredibly excited about them. 60% year over year, you know, same store sales on an occupant. That's awesome. That's great growth. But even if people can't stay there, I'm still going to make a ton of money because everybody wants to come hang out here. It's a very unique environment that they put together. Uh, it's not replicable. If it was replicable, Hilton, Marriott, and Hyatt, and Accor would have been able to do it. They haven't. 
So I cannot talk enough about the scope and scale of this. And at the same time that you're seeing occupancy, ADR growth, all of these year over year, we're also reducing corporate costs because there's economies of scale. So year over year, we're seeing not only a reduction as a percentage of revenue, but more importantly, on an absolute basis, we're spending less money on people and technology because we already put the bones in place. The infrastructure exists which is why we're able to replicate this experience globally. It's a unique experience at each individual destination. It's not unique how we get there. And that's really, really powerful. And that's something that the market doesn't yet understand. But as we move, and I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's roughly $4 million of adjusted EBITDA negative. We're pretty damn near close to profitability, excuse my language. That's something the market can understand. And that's why we, as a SPAC, got incredibly excited about the opportunity. And to partner with a management team that has an expertise that's differentiated, we're very, very lucky to have Rafi and Barbara and the whole Selena team to uh, work with every single day. Right. And just going off of that, uh, a lot of what Selena has brought to the market is a design philosophy targeted at millennials and Gen Z. So how are their hospitality tastes different and why are legacy players failing to meet them? First of all, there are great companies out there that are doing an amazing design job. Give credit to Standard Hotel. I think Ace Hotel is doing a great job. Soho is doing a great job. But I don't think no, none of those brands succeed to create a global. You know, all those brands exist seven, eight years before Selena board. Uh, doing an amazing job building unique experience for a specific community. And what Selena succeeded to do is getting to 164 properties while those brands stayed in about 15 to 25 properties after about 15 years. And I also say that the mom and pops, the young, hip, cool couple from New York, from Costa Rica, from Madrid, decide to open or friends to open a cool hotel with the right F&B offering and the right events, they're just doing an incredible job delivering incredible design. So this is basically, maybe it's answering our, the question of who is our competitors. Our competitors are the local, the local people that do an amazing job building uh, unique experiences. The big brands, I think if you're a 70 years old brand or 60 years old brand, uh, it's just more difficult. It's take longer to take decisions and such, right? Uh, you know, we had this morning IC, we're approving two deals. We're moving forward two weeks after these interior designers, young interior designers. We're upcycling 100% of the furniture. Three months, we're open. I believe that this level of flexibility and model, it's something that can happen for a company that grew and born from content programming. It didn't born from, from a traditional hospitality uh, state of mind. So it's culture. You know what? I'll, I'll summarize the culture. I have 3,000 people around the world working in Selena, they're all traveling within Selena's. It, all young people, our customers and our employees, they're the same. They're, they're, one day they're working, the weekend they're traveling with their friends to one of the Selena's. It's a culture to build this energy. Definitely. And so Selena has also probably seen a big shift in consumer behaviors before, during, and even after the pandemic. So how have the last few years changed the market and how you design your spaces? From a design perspective, I don't think nothing changed. We're always designing uh, the spaces uh, from a look and feel point of view. I think the size of our co-working component is getting a little bit bigger as the remote work community and digital nomads community just tripled. But Selena in 2015, we opened the first Selena with co-work, the second Selena with co-work. 2017, it was 20 Selenas with co-work all around the world. People didn't understand what we were doing. And we said, remote work is here. It's not a new thing that a pandemic invent. It was here way before. It was hundreds of millions of, of 
freelancers that could travel freely in 2017-18. Pandemic put it, I think, in the head of the investors community. Now it's obvious that this is one of the most trendy things that's going on right now. Experiences and co-working size a little bit expanded since COVID, but we're in the same focus. Yeah, and, and you know, because your model is to buy existing locations and flip them and, and find improvements there, one of the things I found really interesting in your materials was, although you, you gain great revenue increases at, at your locations kind of wherever they are, and you have a really interesting diverse portfolio, but you proportionately have much greater revenue increases post-flip from your more remote locations as opposed to your urban ones. I'm just interested, why do you think that is? I think that, yeah, the pandemic definitely sent people outside of big cities People look for more space, they look for more green. And the fact that close to 70% of our locations around the world are in those remote or beach or a forest or mountains, it's allowed us to, to, to deliver this, this flexible solution. It, it's very important just we're not buying locations in a, a lease location for 20 years and convert them quickly into they're taking non-relevant or underutilized hotels, convert them quickly in three, four months into Salinas. And again, the majority. 90% of the cost of conversion spent by the landlord himself. So Selena, uh, today it's, it's almost 100% asset light. We're investing almost zero out of balance sheets in order to grow and open new boxes around the world. And we have 164 locations, six continents, and keep growing in one location every, every week or two weeks. Right. Yeah. Just to reiterate, you know, you're getting you know, sometimes seven times revenue increases at, at, at some of these locations. And, you know, anybody who's ever kind of renovated a, a place knows that there are so, sometimes there's kind of like low cost changes you can make to make a huge difference. And sometimes there's really expensive stuff that may not actually improve value all that much or, or curb appeal, et cetera. So, you know, what are some of the things that you found that are just in, incredibly important that are on kind of that low cost side that you've been able to drive real efficiency in, in terms of improving places? Let's start with the most surprising statement. There is zero connection between how much money you spend versus how much money you will, you will collect. <laughs> a glamping experience that costs $16,000 to build a beautiful glamping with beautiful uh, Moroccan carpets experience and a warmy and, and, and a heater and a small balcony and a small that's entire and the fire outside and even music. This entire experience costs you $16,000. And to build a room in New York costs you over a million dollars. So let's do the math. It costs you 50 times more to build a room in New York versus this glamping desert in Morocco. I charge in Morocco two times more than the ADR in New York. Yeah, and the fact that we are one of the only global companies that is not afraid in three months to build a glamping village in Morocco in the desert or in Peru or in Greece or in Portugal or in UK, we, we love it. Again, we, we're listening to our crowd. We're not listening to our initial assumptions. There is a changes. People just appreciate experience over materialism. It's a fact. It's 80% of them. That's what they state. If they appreciate experience over materialism, why the giant or why does the hospitality industry is not just focus on experience? Experience, you know, a fire, a tent, some expensive things, right? With the right song, you're going to pay every amount to, to, to be part of this experience, right? With the right people, obviously. So yeah, we, we're probably the global the biggest company in the world at doing and focusing on this lifestyle. And for millennial Gen Z, we're definitely the biggest company today. And then just stepping back to the hotel acquisition side, as you've mentioned, you now have 163 locations in 25 countries, and you do most of that sourcing off market. How exactly do you manage that across such a wide area? I think that one of the things that helping us to disrupt all these pr traditional processes 
traditional process, you're going to JLL or Century 21, say, hey, I want to penetrate into Portugal. I want 10 locations, 100 keys, and they go in and do the work for you. When they go in and doing the work for you, they're looking for properties for sale. When a property is for sale, it already means that the person that sell the property know that there is a 200,000 key value and uh, he should ask for 5% more or less. When you're going straight to a distressed hotel, mom and pop, that they're not interested in selling. You know, they're emotionally attached to the assets. They just prefer someone else to manage in case it's going to give them the same return. When we're matching in our lease price, the return that they used to have managing it, we can sometimes be in less than half of the market cap rate, which allows Selena to have lower rent per key than any other brands in those markets. So, and in order to quickly map a city or a village and to understand what are the most underutilized or distressed hotels in this village, there is a simple technology that we build with an amazing Israeli product team, an algorithm that quickly map it and tell you those are the properties you want to go and those are the landlords you want to negotiate with and those are the prices you would like to offer them, which is way below market value. So using technology, disrupting traditional processes, and as a result of this, 80% of our leases are off market. And again, as I said, with close to an average of 10, every 10 days location. Got it. And then what criteria do you prioritize when looking at new locations? And from a geographical standpoint, where are you trying to increase your portfolio the most? We're going to keep growing 50-50 between emerging and developed. We appreciate a small town in Ecuador on the Amazonas, same as we appreciate the, the value of, you know, I'm sitting here talking from Selena, Chelsea, New York. We like the urban traditional prime places. There is a big demand for Selena product in those, but at the same time, every surf beach in Latin America, I think 80% of them were already located. We're going into Morocco right now, into the deserts and into uh, all the beautiful towns in the mountains of the Atlas Mountains, the same about Greece. We're targeting most of the islands. We like the variety of options uh, for our customers. It's important. Definitely. And it looks like Selena has made a lot of progress in reducing corporate overhead, but the first half of 2022 was still cash flow negative. So what is your outlook like in terms of getting to profitability and how are you balancing that with growth? As I said, our landlords and, ge- and geographical real estate local partners funding our growth. Out of balance sheet, we're almost spending zero to add new beds. We're, doing be- we're investing uh, um, into technologies. We're investing into creation of, of new products. So we do have some CapEx, but it, it's very, very, very limited compared to other brands at number one. Number two, corporate overhead in 2018 was almost one-to-one. Close to 60, 70 million overhead generate about 60 to 70 million revenue. Here we are today, our corporate overhead as a percentage of revenue is getting very close to 10%, to 10 to 15%. And next year, it's going to get better and better because economic of scale, just allowing this number to become lower. You can do the math and understand how close we are to profitability. Yeah, 2023, it's a very important year for us. Great. And, and so moving over to the spec deal side of things, you know, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about the process from both of your points of view, but starting with you, Rafi. So what, what were the things that you were seeing that made you decide that now was really the right time for Selena to go public? And, and what was your process like in terms of assessing your options for, for getting there? First of all, we're, we're here to stay and we're not here to sell. So I think that by having this clear strategy, that we have an opportunity to, to become one of the most interesting hospitality players in the world. I don't know how many opportunities you have in such a crazy time. And here we are today, build products for 
the biggest generations, the biggest clientele. So when, when you're not planning to sell a company, then I believe that the, the natural step is to go public and, and reduce going forward the cost of, of capital to keep growing this engine, number one. Number two, I think that the ability to, to take a decision, to kind of choose your, your partners in the SPAC process, it's an important thing. I think what we're bringing to the table you know, founders that were born in Israel. And yeah, we lived most of our life outside of Israel, but very experiential, real estate driven, and then partnering with the Wall Street experts that bring this value. There is something very interesting about it, which, which I think SPAC allow you to do. I'm very pleased by our partners and very excited about what's coming. Great in for you, Ben. What can you tell us about uh, your process in terms of, uh, you mentioned some of the things that, that stood out about Selena towards the beginning, but as the, the market has been shifting, sort of what were some of the things you were looking for and, and you know, what uh, jumped out? What I would say is, you know, as a sponsor, it's incumbent upon us to ensure that we're able to raise the appropriate amount of capital when you look at an enterprise so that they're successful over the breadth of, you know, the opportunity set. And that just doesn't mean closing a deal. Um, we've been a supportive partner of Selena throughout the process. We're lucky enough to have had previous relationships with them in an understanding of the hospitality space, which underpinned part of the investment thesis here. But from a capital providing perspective, we were investors amongst our affiliates in their COVID convert. We've put up a backstop. We have put up money and rolled money into the new convert, which which we raised as well as a $10 million equity check. We're in it to win it. And at the same time, what I would say is, and I think this is a powerful statement as to how much Rafi and, and you know, his group believes in the brand and the platform and you know, the hotel company that they're going to be, they put up an additional $20 million into the pipe. They're the single largest pipe investor on a pure equity basis, as well as being part of the convert we raised. So my job is really focused upon you know, not only spreading the gospel and, you know, essentially telling the market what this company is and where it's going to go, but more importantly, securing them capital. And given the backdrop and everything that's going on here, you see redemptions running between 95 and 100%. That's not an acceptable outcome for me, right? What am I going to do to ensure that I'm not taking that risk? You know, I, I started my career as a bond guy and we're lucky enough to have found ourselves in a position where we were able to raise a convert, $147.5 million, under the auspices, and this is in April, before the market changed, we might not get any cash from trust. So how do we make sure that the business has adequate amounts of capital at an appropriate interest rate, that they're going to be able to drive near-term profitability? And you know, you look at our first half earnings results, it tells you a very, very clear picture. We're going to be EBITDA positive. That's not a story a lot of people can tell. We're not building you know, flying helicopters or taxis, I should say. This is a real business. It's tangible. You can really feel it. 163 locations, 25 countries, six continents. That's a story that I can I can get behind. And not only have I gotten behind it, I've gotten behind it to the tunes of millions of dollars. Totally. And that's actually, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next in terms of, you know, we've seen it be become increasingly important for SPACs to have that committed capital with their deals. And so I'm interested in just sort of, we've known, we've seen how difficult the pipe market has become over this past year. You mentioned sort of when and where you were kind of getting that together. I guess I'm interested in just sort of your thoughts on on, on what the market's been like on the inside of a deal uh, from the perspective of trying to raise that capital and, and what sort of advice, I guess, you, would you have for SPAC teams in, in general that are out there? You were lucky that, um, or at least had the foresight to have some of that locked up um, you know, early on. It's a tough question. What, what I would say is it, it really depends upon the product, 
right? Uh, every investor is at the end of the day wants to make a return on capital. So do you have a product that's going to make money or do you have a product that might make money? The cost of your capital is going to go up if it might make money. Cost of your capital is going to go down if they're going to make money. Just very simple. And you have to be judicious as to the targets you pick, the management teams you pick, the product you pick. Look, is the pipe market incredibly difficult? Sure. But raising money is always incredibly hard. Rafi's raised money in some of the worst conditions in the history of the universe. But I think what speaks to the power of this company, we will have raised over $200 million in arguably the worst market for you know sponsor raises possible. That means there's something here. Selena's going to go public in a tough place. It's going to be a hard market. But that means that everybody wants them to be there, which means that what they've built, what Rafi and his team have built is incredibly powerful. And once again, you led right into where I wanted to go next, which is just, you know, looking at Selena, it's uh, both its business model and its scale are somewhat unique in terms of its comps, both listed and, and private. And so was that sort of the, the, the big thing that you found to be most informative in terms of coming to that valuation was the fact, what was the EBITDA positivity, especially lined up against compet- competitors, or what were some of the key metrics there that, um, that you thought were, were kind of most important as you were uh, assessing the value? Well, first and foremost, it's, do you have full faith and confidence in management? Are you able to have a relationship with them whereby you're going to be able to execute a deal? Do you believe in what they're selling you? We have full faith and credit in, in Rafi, Barbara, and the entire team. That was the first point as we were doing our diligence on the assets and the company and the you know valuation thesis. Second was, what are they selling? How do I value that? You know, Revenue is up 142%, occupancy up 60% coming out of the worst time in hospitality. And when I see corporate overhead be static year over year, despite exponential growth, it's just math. And so, okay, I can do a walk down through that. All of a sudden I can underpin this asset and I can say, okay, this starts to make a lot of sense. They're going to generate cash flow. That's great. And this is before the market changed. We were talking about revenue multiples in 2021. I think if you spoke to anybody and they said, what's a revenue multiple right now, that any sane investor is going to shut the door. <laughs> But if you can say, hey, guys, I'm going to generate X amount of EBITDA in 2023, and this is the cash flow, that's something you can value. That's, that's a net present value equation. I mean, you can run a DCF on it. Any type of nerdy financial math you want to do, you can do, because this is a real business. It's not pie in the sky. And you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in tangible assets, in things I can feel. And it's not just the energy. It's not just the global FOMO that Rafi speaks about. It, it's really what is the business doing on an operating basis? And if they can drive that on an operating basis while keeping costs under control, then all of a sudden you're going to get a return on capital. That's something I can speak to you know, my cohort of people about and have a logical conversation. But it all flows back to management. I, I just want to add one thing important to them. Close to 2 million people are going to visit us this year. We're 61% of them make a new friend while they stay with us. The brand equity component of this company the amount of people are trying to book in weekends, festivals, corporate B2C retreats that we're doing in 25 countries at the same time, over hundreds of music events, productions every month to create a lot of stickiness. People just want to be part. And, you know, it's difficult to evaluate the, the brand component to it, but it just become next year, we're expecting more than 3 million people to walk into our properties. And they're young, they're relevant big part of them, influencer, they're talking with their friends about their experiences. Now you can imagine how many products and how many partnerships and how many additional uh, things can be added into those boxes. 
you know, the most difficult thing is to build a box, which looks beautiful, and to do it on scale in six continents. Once you have those boxes out there, you can build membership programs, you can build huge loyalty programs. Any brands in the world want to be associated with this community. Everybody wanted to touch them somehow. These are the coolest and the most relevant people, right? 31 years old, average age. So I think that the, to build a growth strategy, to be able to fund it through third parties, to build those boxes every 10 days all around the world and, and attract and create traffic and energy on top of the financials, which getting better every day. I think there is something else out there that it's, it's worth to look at. Definitely. So how do you think being a public company will help with M&A? What, what they start experiencing right now is since the market heard about us going public, we start, uh, instead of going to deal by deal, we start uh, receiving a proposal for a very interesting uh, M&As. So I do believe that Selena will shift slowly, slowly towards bigger transactions. But when we find opportunity to require an acquisition, we have landlords and investors all around the world. In case Selena willing to commit for a lease, they'll be happy to, to acquire the portfolio. We did it a few times and we're going to keep doing it. Got it. And we still haven't talked much about the tech side of PropTech yet. So what is the most exciting thing that you see coming in terms of what you've been developing with your own technology and also in the wider market? First of all, we own the core systems. We own it. It's allowed flexibility. In COVID, when companies shut down locations, we quickly build within our own system a colleague product. Uh, you know, to manage inventory of COVID, it's completely different than to manage inventory in the software of short-term rentals, right? So the fact that within two months, our tech team succeed to, to, to do this conversion in the system, to build the Selena tokens, it's our internal currency, to be able to, to manage a global new product and to sell over 5,500, this is the value of technology, number one. Number two, I'll give you a quick example. We just came up with a new, our new ticketing platform, right? So every, Selena sell thousands of, of tickets for events, for music, for retreats every year. Using a ticketing platform, we charge us two to three to four to five percent commission every time you're using them. Our team in three months built an amazing in-house ticketing platform, which right now will reduce the cost in average of two and a half to three percent of this specific segment called ticketing, right? Um, this is just one example. There's dozens of those products which we're building based on the needs and the demand of our operational teams. Great. And, you know, another thing that we've seen uh, really be key and sometimes like a major driver of some of these successful SPAC deals that we've seen has been really the reaction of the retail investment community. And I, I noticed uh, the same week this podcast is coming out, you're doing some uh, some Twitter spaces with Equity Animal and, and Mark Moran. I'm just interested in, in sort of the feedback you've gotten from retail investors so far. I imagine this is a, just being a brand that um, they can really a touch and, and, and experience is, is probably helpful there. But uh, what, what have those conversations been like so far? Yeah, you know what I would say is Mark has and is going to be an incredible partner for the company and the brand. We're fortunate enough that we have something that resonates with a specific community and the ability to touch them. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak about last weekend at our hotel in Chelsea in New York. Uh, we threw a multi-level, you know, DJ festival. We turned it into the Rave Hotel. Rock Nation helped us with it. And Miguel was a part of it. We saw incredible amounts of foot traffic. It spoke very, very specifically to our customer base. And not only our customer base, but it allowed us to broaden that customer base. 
And so utilizing these types of channels, these, whether it's equity animal or traditional I, IR firms, uh, as well as our own internal capabilities and, you know, a global PR, you know, workforce, as well as social media and guerrilla marketing and things of those nature. We're tremendously lucky because we can access every single one of those aspects to drive that retail. And by the way, those retail consumers are actually our customers. And I think that is like the very unique touch point that we have because we're not only a hotel company, but we're also a brand and a lifestyle. Great. Well, before I let you go, could you just give a, a quick update for our listeners in terms of what you're looking at in terms of the timeline of the transaction moving forward? Yeah. So uh, we have a special meeting scheduled October 21st. Everything is on Edgar Files and can be found if you search BOAS vis-a-vis that. If you're on Bloomberg, type in BOAS as an equity ticker and go from there. But yeah, special meeting, 10 a.m. October 21st. Great. Well, it's a very exciting time. That's right around the corner here. And an exciting time just to be able to have a, a really, truly fun deal and a, and a fun company coming to market now. I, I can't wait to continue to watch all the things you guys are going to be doing. And thanks so much for being on. Well, you know, we hope to see you at uh, the Chelsea location if you're in New York. If you're in Chicago, go to our Chicago location. Uh, if you're in Miami, Casa Florida or uh, Miami River. Look forward to having you guys. Thank you so much.